Judges chapter 12. Well, let me just say this, based on how things shook out this morning, we had about 50, a little over 50 in our 8 o'clock service, which is fine because many of those are what we consider high risk. So if you're in this uh, gathering and you'd like for to be even more space, we invite you to come at 8. You can lay down, recline, however you want to. Uh, we'll, we'll be able to put you in there. Now, the 9.30, we almost got to capacity, okay? Uh, we had people on the front rows, and uh, we were starting to get to a point where we might put people upstairs. So uh, just kind of let you know next week. That way you can kind of have an idea about which one you'd like to try, okay? To me, this is perfect. I mean, this, this works. Huh? Does this work for y'all? Okay, I can't have C because the lights, I don't know. There's a haze. Is there a haze in here? Okay, because I feel like I'm blacking out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, let me just, uh, there's something I want to do before we get into the message this morning. I feel like it's very important. Many of you are seeing the images across the streets of America and all the different things that are happening there. I know that for many of you, you like to come to church, and you know, the reason you like to come to church is you like to kind of get away from the outside world and not think about the outside world, but to come in and, and uh, just kind of get with Jesus, and, and I get that. Uh, but I feel like there's times we have to kind of speak into what's going on around us. And, and I have, uh, didn't have any intention at the first of the week to even do this. But as I saw the images come in and people's opinions about different things, I really feel like it's important that, that I kind of share with you what God is showing me through this, uh, this scene that we're seeing here in America. Uh, and so what I want to do is I want to use last week's image, imagery, with the whole idea of the box. And um, again, let me kind of review if you happen to see it online or were here last week. The box is a place where we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. It's also a place where we abide, we're abiding in Christ. It's a place of protection and provision. This is fruitful living. This is where we're growing in our faith. This is where blessings are. Now, there's some other parts to it when it comes to living in the box. There's also the idea of living in truth. The Bible says in John 16, 13, however, this is Jesus speaking, when he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. Okay, so the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict and all these things, but it is prim his role primarily is to teach us, okay? Jesus even said, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we know that truth is not just words on a piece of paper. Truth is the embodiment of Jesus Christ. Now, also in this box is where we find wisdom and discernment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all to all liberally and without reproach, and it will get, be given to him. And then Colossians chapter 1, Paul was saying this, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, why would I go to the trouble to say that? It's because that when we are in the box, things become clearer to us. Doesn't mean we have all the answers. I still believe there's a large part of our faith that at times is a mystery, but it is here that we will find, we put it this way, it's here that I don't believe we'll be deceived. And, and so I think that's important. Then there's one other thing when it comes, it, it's the idea that we are to take on the mind of Christ. The Bible says, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Now, 
What does that have to do with anything that we're seeing on television or what we're seeing in the streets of America? I think it has everything to do with it. I think the problem with us as Christians most of the time is that we start listening to all the different voices that are out there, all the talking heads, all the news outlets. We begin to hear from social groups and we hear from this group and that group and, and all these things. Now, the way I see it, every bit of that, I mean, political parties, every bit of that to me is, is not necessarily messages coming from within the box. Now, can these groups slip upon or come upon truth? Yes. But the thing that we must understand is anything that's man-made is flawed. And all these things are flawed. Politicians, social groups, whatever you're going to say, talking heads, unless it's grounded in the truth of God's word, there's going to be a flaw somewhere in the system, somewhere in the thought process, somewhere in the perception. So what does that mean? For me, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to know what God thinks about it. I want to know what God thinks about it. And I want to act accordingly. And I think it's so important that we who are believers in Jesus, that we stick to that premise when it comes to try to discern what's going on in our world. Now, when we begin, as I said last week, when we begin to live outside the box, that's where I believe we're open to deception. That's where I believe anxiety, stress, a critical sphere, ungodliness, uh, fears. I've talked to people who have fear over what's going on in our streets, uh, living in rebellion and ruin and destruction. All those things are fully capable of happening when we get outside the box. Now, living outside the box produces one thing, living on the inside produces another. Now, Here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to be, I want you to hear me this morning, okay? Don't half hear me or you might hear something that's, that's wrong, okay? I, I've been kept up at night. You can talk to my wife. There's been a couple of nights where I would just wake up at two o'clock in the morning and, and just trying to, God, where, where do we as Christians, where are we supposed to be in all this, okay? Because there's definitely things in scripture that says that what we're seeing is not right. And we can pull it there. So what we are seeing play out in our nation cannot be fixed by our government. It can't be fixed by the government. It just can't. And just like in any other cases of division, hostility, violence, and injustice, it is a spiritual problem that can only be healed, I believe, by the hand of God and a work of the Holy Spirit. You see, the things that we're seeing play out in the streets have been with us for hundreds of years. They've been here from the very beginning. You see it repeated. You see the injustice. You see all these different things where to, there's divisions and all this. It's always been here. And the only answer has been when truth captures those thoughts and bring it, brings it under and yields it to that truth. Whether it's a spiritual awakening, a revival, whatever it takes. It takes that kind of move of God to see the fix for what's going on in our nation. So when you look at Romans chapter 12 and verse two, it says this, do not be conformed to this world. This is something we've talked about over and over again. It literally means don't be conformed to its way of thinking. Don't be conformed to its ways of evil. Don't go there. Those things are outside the box, but be transformed, okay? And from this, when we see the way this verse is written, when it goes from don't be conformed, but be transformed, it literally means be, that you are to be transformed beyond the world and its ways and what's going on. Now, here's what I mean by that. So many of us 
will sit there and listen to the many ideas that are out there about what's going on. And for some of us, we can connect with that piece of it and connect with that piece of it and all that. It's, ne- it's always gonna have a, possibly a measure of truth, but it's, many times, it will, once it plays out, there's flaws in it. We have to get it from truth, okay? So what he's saying is this, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Filter all that you see. Get your perspective from God's truth. Why? That you may prove, that you may realize what is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Here's what it literally means, that we are attempting to capture the mind of God on what we see. That's literally what we're seeing in this context as it speaks to where we live today. Therefore, unless the self-proclaimed problem solvers are looking to God and his truth, there will be no solutions and no answers to the problems in the streets and in our hearts as a nation. This includes political parties, social movements, talking heads on TV and radio, or any other group that claims it has its answer. And the reason is because they're man-made. They're man-made. In the meantime, I believe we as a church, we need to realize that we have the answers. We do have answers. And we need to live out the solutions before the world. That's what we're called to do. And what that requires is living in the box. Living in the box. It requires being surrendered to the Holy Spirit. It's required to live our lives in the midst of truth. What does that mean? Living our lives based on what God's word says. Now, our church culture values, let me just say there's three of them that I believe we can put around what we're seeing in the streets. And, and it's something we really need to t- pay attention to. You see here, and you hear it many times, Jesus is our lead so- story. It's not what we think, it's what he thinks. He's the one who died for the church. He's the one who died for the world. He is the solution. He is the answer he, to everything that we're seeing. And so as long as Jesus is our lead story, we need to present as a church that he is the only story that matters when it comes to division, violence, and all the other things that we see. Now, we are also kingdom focused. We're kingdom focused. We've been called to be that in scripture as a church. And that does not mean uh, limited when it comes to race, socioeconomic, or anything like it. We cannot do that. We have to stand for what is right and what God calls us to do. We are a family. And again, that's not limited to a certain group of people. We're family. And we need to count on each other as family. So when you say the answers are right here in scripture, they are. They're clearly here. In Romans chapter 12, I want you to, we're going to look at verses 9 through 21. I'm going to just read them to you. If we can capture this as as an individual of of, of follower of Jesus Christ and as a church, if we operate in this mode, this is the answer. This is the answer the world needs. Verse 9 of chapter 12. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation or trials, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. That means our hearts are open. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those 
who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have a regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And then here it is. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, the answer is sitting right here in front of us. If we could get our minds and hearts around this, live this accordingly, let the church be a picture of this, God will use it to change the world. God will use it to change the streets in our nation. But you see, we've got to have his perspective on the matter. He is the answer. He has the solutions. And it's all right here in front of us. And so what I'd like to do at this time is I hope you would join me as we pray for our nation, for all those who are involved in all this. I mean, um, there's a lot of stuff going on out there. A lot of hostility, a lot of frustration, some injustice, and different things. So just bow with me as we pray. Father, we come to you right now. And Lord, we just... Uh, come before you in humility. Lord, I think so many times we, we don't reflect your truth. We as individuals sometimes don't have your mind. We as a church sometimes don't measure up to what your word so clearly says. But Father, I know that even though we are so fallen in so many different ways, that there is an answer that can come to this world that's found in your truth, that's found in you that needs to be found in each and, each and every one of us. Father, we pray for the families who are experiencing the loss of loved ones during this time of unrest. Father, we just pray, Lord, that you just be with them during this time. Father, we pray for those who feel they are being forced to live outside of justice. And Father, we pray for them. And, and Lord, we direct them to you, Father, to, to, to seek first you and then the things that will be added. Father, we pray for the safety for those who are attempting to practice peaceful protesting, Father, that you would keep them safe in the midst of this, that in their voices, Lord, it will be a, a voice of good, a, a, a voice of reconciliation. Father, we pray that for those that are not practicing peaceful protests, that they would find more constructive ways and safer ways to express themselves instead of destruction and ruin. Father, we pray for the protection for those men and women who are protecting individuals and property, especially our police and the National Guard, Father, those who make up that. Father, we pray for those who are making decisions as to how to handle the unrest in the streets of our cities, that they would have wisdom and discernment. And most of all, Father, we pray for the soul of our nation. We pray that we as the body of Christ would live our lives in such a way that we point people to your truth your ways, and especially your love. Father, forgive us where we fail you. And Lord, help us to be more mindful of those things that you care about, justice, mercy, and compassion. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you don't mind me taking that. I really feel like it was important. I, I think what our nation's up to, I think really, as I said, it's in God's word. The answer is right there. 
We just need to do a better job of reflecting it. All right, James chapter one, if you'll go ahead and turn there. Just to let you know, we're going through 13, 13 wonderful weeks of the book of James. How many of you are just so pumped and excited about that? Okay, how many of you were here 10 years ago when we did this the first time? Some of you, yeah, 10 years ago. Can you believe it's been a decade? A lot's changed in our lives in a decade. I actually wanted to, uh, to redo those sermons five years ago, and I thought, well, they might remember some of this stuff. So anyway, uh, this is 10 years later, and here we are. So, so as we jump in, I want us to look at James chapter 1, verse 1. He says, and by the way, just to let you know, I'm not going to finish the sermon today, so that will relieve you. Okay, all right. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Now, before we go any further, we need to understand who is James writing this letter to? Well, he's writing to those who, who are Jewish, okay, because he says the 12 tribes, but they're primarily Jews who have converted to Christ. They are what you call completed Jews, so to speak. That's what many people who believe in the Messiah, who believe Jesus is the Lord and Savior. And so what's happened is the church was established at Pentecost. And then a couple of decades later, the persecution of the church became, became very strong because the church was having influence in the world. As a result, the, the church spread out throughout the Roman Empire. And so James, who's the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem, is sending this letter to all those who are scattered out to encourage them in their life and as, in the challenges they're facing. Now, who is James? It may shock some of you to know that he's the half-brother of Jesus Christ, okay? The half-brother. Now, that does not mean his name is James Christ, okay? It's just his name is James, okay? <laughs> Jesus Christ means Jesus the Messiah. So anyway, I just want to help you there. But anyway, can you imagine being raised in the same home as Jesus? Can you imagine that? I've, I've kind of kidded this before. Can you imagine James, Jesus doing everything right? Got to be mom's favorite, you know? But uh, I mean, just every, and, and Mary, Joseph, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? Come on, man, you know, that kind of thing. He probably was a little resentful for all we know. But the point is, he did not come to realize Jesus as the Messiah until after the resurrection of Jesus. After the death, burial, and resurrection, that's when James, a half-brother of Jesus, came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Not only that, he was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and eventually he would die for the faith. He would literally be killed by a mad crowd years later. Now, the purpose of this book is to practically demonstrate the correlation between a true follower of Jesus and his or her behavior. Now, what's really interesting about how he wrote this, he's introducing himself, and in verse 2, he jumps right in to the thing that's at the forefront of everyone's mind that he's writing this letter to. What do we do with the persecution we're dealing with? How do we get through it? How do we see it? How do we maneuver through it all? And so what you find here is he's literally introducing the idea of trials and how we face them. So look on your outline, I mean, if you don't have it. If you have a digital outline, you can see it. But anyway, the introduction is this. Trials, problems, disappointments, all can be expected in this fallen world. The thing that we need to understand is that we live in a fallen world, and that is the economy in which we live. It's fallen. It's fallen. Made up of fallen people, okay? Now, God can use these to develop and mature our faith or your faith. Those with a mature faith have the potential to live above trials and not under them. So here's what he is challenging them to do. If you say, in a nutshell, what's James trying to say about trials? That you possibly can live above your trial and not under your trial. 
Okay? And that's what he's challenging with this morning as it relates to what we're reading. Now, let me remind you, living in the box is living in truth, surrender to the Holy Spirit. This is where blessings are. Wisdom is gained, discernment, protection and provision, and fruitful living. Outside the box, deception, anxiety, a critical spirit, ungodliness, living in rebellion, ruin, and destruction. While in the box, as we said last week, there's times where we may be enticed to go outside the box. We call that temptation. Adam and Eve was a perfect example of someone who definitely lived in the box. They were in good, great fellowship with God. They were meeting with him on a daily basis according to the Bible. I mean, there was good things coming from this relationship. And all of a sudden, the serpent shows up and Eve's enticed or tempted to leave the box. Guess who went with her? Adam. And he knew exactly what he was doing. The Bible says he wasn't deceived like she was. He knew exactly. He was literally choosing to live outside the box. How did that work out for everybody? Not well, not well. All of a sudden, we've plunged into living outside the box. And that's where trouble arises. Now, staying and living in the box, now that we know Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we can be restored into a relationship in which we now can live outside the box and be in the box and have all those wonderful things we talked about. Now, what's important is staying in the box takes some work. It takes discipleship. It takes discipline. It takes living intentionally. It's literally, and one of the hardest things to do is staying the course, staying the course. Now, trials will come even when you're in the box. There's a group of people out there that preach that as long as you're in the box, trouble will not find you. They lie. It does find you. They lie. They would say that if you're living in the perfect will of God, those things won't touch you. They say, if you're living in the perfect will of God, you will be, you'll have money and you'll be rich. How many of you thought that was funny when I did that? I, I saw someone do that the other day. Anyway, they, I guess that means cash. I got cash. I don't know. Anyway, there's a big difference between living, listen, dealing with a trial in the box than living in a trial outside the box. And James, I believe, is trying to tell them this, okay? Now, James shows, what he's trying to do is showing you the possibilities of the trials. Now, let me tell you about trials in my life. There have been times in which the trial came to me when I was in the box, and I did okay going through the trial. And, and I came out on the other side, and I, I was much better for the trial. How many of you have ever been in that situation? How many of you, however, a trial came into your life, and it hit you so hard, you left the box? You started having attitudes that God wasn't happy with. You started living outside the truth. You, you allowed that trial not to make you better, but to make you bitter. And all of a sudden you began to live outside the box. I have met people who've been living outside the box for decades because some trial came to their life. It may, it may have come by way of a hurtful relationship. It may have been something they feel like they didn't deserve. They felt like God placed, placed on them, but they got outside the box. And, and here's what's interesting. There's several people in scripture that, that shows that they lived outside the box. Do you remember King David? I tell you this all the time, wrote two thirds of the Psalms. How many of you like it when you read the Bible and you read about these great people and you read about failure? How many of you that just comforts you in so many ways? But that's the case with King David. King David, what I like about him and then also Peter in the New Testament, they messed up, they messed up at times. Matter of fact, David told you when he would mess up. 
He wrote two-thirds of the Psalms and one-third of the Psalms that he wrote. You know what the theme of it was? God, where are you? Do you even care? Anybody ever been there in a trial? Okay, And so that was a motivation that lets us know. Those words let us know, I believe, that David at times went outside the box okay, with his trial. Now, what are we to do? Well, problems with trials, they are intended to bring about evaluation. So look at verse 2. My brethren counted all joy when you fall into various trials. The key understanding to this passage is what do you do with the phrase count it? It's an accounting term. It's a banking term. And here's what he's literally saying. When it comes to trials that come into your life, you have a choice to put it either in an asset column or a liability column. We would call it the sad column or the glad column. Uh, It's one of those things where uh, over here is a plus to my life and over here it's a minus to my life. It takes away or it adds to. It, it, It takes away freedom or adds freedom. Okay, And he's saying, here's what you need to do. When it comes to trials, you evaluate it. You determine, he's telling you, put it in the asset column. Put it over here. Okay, It can be good for you. How many of you are like, yay, all right. So when they come, I'm, no. Anyway, we don't do that, do we? But he's saying do that. Our tendency is to put every trial or problem into the sad column, the liability column. That is when we do not see the possibilities of our problems and trials. One thing we need to do is to keep in mind that God is all about contrast in this life. How many of you have noticed that about your life so far? He's all about contrast. And it helps us to see things more clearly. I want you to think about it. How would you know pleasure to the degree that you do without pain in life at at times? How, How would you know celebration if there wasn't suffering at times? How about triumph and trials, possibilities and problems? So we see that James is saying, okay, trial comes to your life, put it in the asset column. It's something God can use, all right? Next, the possibility with trials, they are intended to produce joy. Now, how many of you, that's the first thing that comes to your mind when you get bad news, when you wreck the car, when all these terrible things happen. Is that the first thing you say? Yippee. No, we don't, do we? But what does he say? My brethren count it all what? Joy. Wow. Is he out of touch? (laughs) But he's not. The part, this part, listen, this part of the verse seems to imply two things, that trials and problems have the potential to send us in different directions. We can either be better or we can be bitter. Secondly, this seems to imply that trials and problems are necessary to help us understand this life and more clearly, maybe even the life to come. There's a dear lady in our church. I came to this church over 30 years ago and she was an encourager to me, it seemed like from day one. I don't know if you know Viola Johnson, 95 years old. She passed away yesterday. And Miss Viola, she was a precious lady. And she still encouraged all the way up to two and a half weeks ago. Gary and I had the privilege to go into her home and visit with her. And uh, she was just as sharp as a tack. And, and, and here's what she said. She said, well, if the Lord wants me, he knows where to come and get me. She was ready to go home to be with the Lord. And, and you know something? I think that as we get older, and I've heard this over and over from people who have lived a long time, there just comes a point where you're just ready to go home. 
And part of the reason they are so driven to want to go home is because they're tired of the suffering of this world. They're ready for so much more. And to me, this life kind of sets the tone for that thought process. And that's some of what you're getting when you're looking at trials. Heaven becomes sweeter. And that's kind of the idea here. And so we see it here. Next, the problem with trials, they will come. They will come. Look at verse two. My brethren counted all joy if you fall into various trials. Does anybody have that translation? What does it say? When, when. Don't you wish it was if? You know what that would imply? Some of us could get in and out of this life without having trials. But has anyone ever done that? Is anybody in this room there? No. There's always trials. There's always hurtful relationships. There's always bad news. There's always disappointment. It's the, as I said, it's the economy of a fallen world. What he says here is when, not if. It is built into this life. But notice what he says next. He says, when you fall, the word fall literally carries the idea when when you're suddenly surrounded, suddenly surrounded. How many of you have ever awakened for for a day uh, to get up in the morning? Waking for that. Anyway, you get up in the morning and maybe you're sitting there thinking, today's gonna be a good day. But by the time you put your head on the bed, on the bed, on the pillow that night, it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. You ever been there? Yeah. What he's talking about is that same mindset. Suddenly, you you fall. Suddenly, you're surrounded. It, it, it reminds us of the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember the, the man that went out and and the Bible doesn't say that that he woke up that morning and he went out looking for trouble. It doesn't say that, does it? It literally says trouble found him. Sometimes as we make our way in this world, trouble finds us, okay? Trouble can find us outside the box. Trouble can find us inside the box. And and so what you see there, he didn't go out to find it. It found him. And all of a sudden, he was surrounded by trouble. Now, have you ever been around someone who was going through a trial? It's really all they see, isn't it? It's all they see. It's all they talk about. It's constantly before them. They're, they're living under the trial. And, and that's what it is. How, how many of you have been around people like that? And they constantly are talking about it. And, and, and y'all, that can, that can be tough to deal with at times. It's hard to, to, to be in that. But there's some people that they don't know what to do with it. And they struggle. And I know we want to come alongside, but it's always there. Which brings us to the question... Why does God allow trials or problems into our lives? Now, there's one thing that we do know. There's something called repentance, right? When when repentance comes to our lives, when there's true repentance, there will always be transformation, okay? Something will be transformed in our life when we change something over here. That's what it means. That's biblical transformation. But did you know that that, that, um, repentance is the only thing that can transform us? Trials. Problems, suffering can transform us. How many of you are living testimony of that? You've seen it happen in your life. It can transform us. It can transform us for the better or it can transform us for the worse. So we know it's there and we believe God can use it. Next, the problem with trials. They will come in many colors. Matter of fact, look at verse two. My brother counted all joy when you fall into what? Various trials. The word various literally means different colors. Trials, problems, 
they have their own. Someone has said they have their own rainbow of troubles. They, they come in all shades of colors, uh, reds of conflict and anger, yellows of sickness and disease, greens of envy and jealousy, grays of indecision and doubt, blues of depression and hopelessness, blacks of tragedy and sorrow. Trials come in all shapes and sizes. And let me just say this. Sometimes trials are easy to overcome. How many of you ever seen a trial on the horizon you knew it was coming? And you just prepared for the worst. You just prepared. And all of a sudden you went through it. It's like, well, that wasn't so bad. That was easier than I thought it was going to be. But yet there's still some that come over the horizon. And they're as bad as you thought they could be too, right? Did you know that God, no matter what you're going through, can do some amazing things with your life, even in the midst of a trial? And so what I want to do as we close I know some of you are sitting there like, oh, you just started. No, I've been going a while now. But as we close, I just want to ask you, where are you at when it comes to trials? Would you say that you're one of those that maybe you've received some tough news? Maybe there's a relationship that you're going through that's breaking your heart and it's created a suffering and trial disappointment. And maybe, you're, maybe right now you're in the box and you're trying to deal with it in a manner in which God would have you deal with it, but you feel like you're, it's hard to stay the course. I just want to lift you up in prayer today because listen, God wants you to stay the course. There's some of you, something came into your life, maybe not that long ago, and all of a sudden it, you feel you're outside the box. You don't feel discernment about that issue anymore. You don't, you don't, you don't feel God speaking to you about it anymore. I mean, you just feel like you're just kind of out there hanging out there by yourself. I've been there. I know, I know that's a very bad feeling. You need to get back in the box. You say, how do I get back in the box? Well, you got to repent. You got to turn. You got to go back into the mode where God can, can do something in your life. You got to get back in the box where transformation can take place. But it takes stepping back in the box, surrendering to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to do a work in you instead of you holding up the work he wants to do in you. And for some of you, maybe it's, you've been outside the box I know people that's been outside the box for decades. There was something that happened in their life. They can tell you all about it and it still hangs out there and they're still under it. And they've wasted all those years. I don't know where you are, but God wants you in the box. He wants you to not waste the trial. He wants to grow you through it. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now. We thank you for who you are.